There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show again on Voice America. Wonderful to be with you again. And uh, for those of you who maybe had the opportunity to listen last week, um, I interviewed uh, my good friend Mike Mooney, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Pocono um, Organics, which is a, a about to become the largest regenerative organic farm um, producer in North America. And we were talking about reputation. Mike's an expert in reputation, um, a former um, kind of vice president for marketing for uh, Roche Fenway, the big uh, motor motor a vehicle a racing team, NASCAR racing team. And uh, I think we had a really uh, profound and, and helpful conversation thinking about a reputation, but also uh, you know, this shift that Mike did into something that's very worthy and very regenerative and helping us move you know, the world to where we want to be uh, moving forward, which is one where we have much more you know, sort of future um, sort of stewardship for our environment and for our, our planet. So if you're interested in that, do go into the archive and do have a look at that. Um, you may also want to check out, if you um, check out on a Thursday, it's UK time, five till six. Uh, I'm now doing um, webinars, which are live on, um, it's, we call it Look Forward Thursdays. And if you can uh, check those out um, on, on the internet and access those, you're welcome to join us. You're welcome to ask questions and participate in those. Uh, that's with a company called Business Growth Bureau. So if you can't find it sort of easily online, go to Business Growth Bureau and sort of search for their webinar. And um, I'm a part of that. So we've got something really exciting to talk about today. We've got to go talk about the Game of Thrones. And for those of you who know Game of Thrones, you'll know that it's a it's a it's a a TV um, series, um, an incredible one, and, and it's a bloody volatile world, uh, which maybe your my guess would suggest uh, today that maybe you sit and strategize about the bold moves that you would make. But it really is a, a fascinating canvas to talk about leadership uh, from the experiences of the characters uh, and use those uh, to enable us to get even further and deeper understanding around our leadership. Uh, my guest today. Bruce Craven is the author of Win or Die, Leadership Secrets from Game of Thrones. And if you don't know the show, do hang on because he'll explain a little bit more about it. And he wrote this in very inspiring book, which I have got to say that I'm very impressed by. Uh, the the storyline of Game of Thrones is complex and interwoven and detailed. But Bruce manages to, I think, draw out key conclusions from it and translate that into some brilliant ideas and thoughts around leadership. Now, Bruce Craven is a member of the Columbia Business School Executive Ed Education faculty. Uh, he's uh, involved with their and teaching their popular MBA and elective leadership. But through fiction, uh, he teaches workshops in resilience and he's worked all around the globe for 30 years uh, with uh, Columbia Business School. He published uh, uh, Fast Sofa in 1993, co-wrote the script, which uh, became a film adaptation in 2001. His leadership book, Win or Die Leadership Secrets from the Game of Thrones was published in March 2000.
2016. And like the book, I think it's quite an epic by Thomas Dunbooks. And he's published all sorts of poetry, um, something called Buena Suerte in Red Glitter in 2019. He studied politics. He's got two sons and a wife. He lives in a beautiful area of um, Desert Hot Springs near Palm Springs in California with his wife and two sons. So a huge welcome today uh, to my guest, Bruce Craven. Hello, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, can Are you hear you? me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Are you well? I am well. It's a beautiful morning here in the Coachella Valley. I was up at 5 a.m. hiking in the desert with my dog, and I'm just honored to be on this call. So thank you for having me. Oh, how, how nice. must be a very meditative time of the day to be out there in the desert and, and yeah, with your dog. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, and, okay. And you, were, you were telling me yesterday that you've been spotting rattlesnakes and pink snakes and all sorts of things when you've been out there. Is it, is it a safe place to take you to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do need to re remind the dog that she needs to stay on the leash because um, there, are rat there are rattlers out there, and it's just that time of season. But it is very meditative, and as we know, we're in a, uh, a pretty volatile moment in, in history well, globally because of the pandemic, and then here because of th some things going on uh, politically that pretty much everyone's aware of. So getting that time out in the desert with my dog and, and sometimes with my sons when I can get them to turn off their devices and join me, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to get centered. And how old are your sons? Uh, 11 and 14. Ah, so just like mine then, 10 and, 10 and 14, very similar. And, and it is a little challenge to get them off the devices and get them out to walk, I find. But when you do, they generally enjoy it. Absolutely. They And if I take either of them one-on-one, -on -one, I've learned it's an amazing time for me to kind of coach them a little bit, you know, and hear about what's going on in their lives. And we almost always come back with them sort of ambitious and excited about something new they're going to work on and so for me as a dad and for a dad who traveled most of their life you know because of my work it's it's been nice to have so much time with them yeah that's great i agree with that i've i've tried myself to to take the children out individually and to to talk with them and i think probably my my proudest moment actually of the last few weeks was when my youngest son said to me dad said this is just great i've learned more about science and uh, in one walk with you that I've learned in three or four science lessons at school, you know, can we do this every day? And that was just really, really nice to, uh, yeah. to be able to have these deep conversations with him and, well, we, and I appreciate more about what he actually knows. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think I'm going to make a connection to that, to this book, win or die, but the, um, you know, I finished the book at the end of 2018 and it, it was a very demanding process and there wasn't a lot of time I was trying to, get it written while I was teaching and traveling and and I finished it and I went off to New York for a big teaching job at the Columbia Business School and when I came back the book was you know the book came out at the beginning of last year and at one point my wife was driving my boys to school and the 11 year old who was then 10 um, asked her he, he said mama who, who's the best coach in Game of Thrones, and, and my wife's driving. She goes, I don't know, who is it? And he goes, it's Cereo Pharrell, Mom. And then she turned around, and he he was reading the book, and he had got a copy of it. And I, I said to my wife, that's such a compliment to me that that a 10-year-old, I mean, a 10-year-old that reads very well, but still that a 10-year-old could kind of get that connected with the content and extract learning from it. That's brilliant. Yeah, you must kind of live and breathe that. I'm just, and I'm interested, you know, the, you mentioned the situation in, in, around the world with the pandemic and 
and the situation at the moment that's going on in in the United States and sort of turmoil and unrest and it it feels a little bit like the world is uh, is quite like the Game of Thrones at at times and I, I just maybe you could give us a for those people who don't know the uh, the series um, could you give us a little bit of background to it and 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 why it's relevant to leaders today? Yeah, um, so the the show which is based on a a very compelling series of novels by George R. R. Martin. The show starts primarily, um, you meet these kind of scary creatures that are non-human that live north of this giant ice wall. And there's this border guard known, known as the Night Watch that's trying to protect the continent um, of Essos. So we're in this sort of epic science fiction fantasy terrain um, for the show. And this lord who lives up in the north, um, Ned Stark, he's approached by a king who's his old friend named King Robert, who invites him to come down to the capital city and serve essentially as his direct report, his right, right-hand man. The, the role in the show is called the Hand of the King. So Ned Stark, uh, after some debate, and I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but he, he goes down there and he takes his two daughters. So they're traveling from you know, a border town up in a very cold, isolated region, and they're traveling down to this very, uh, the center of government and the center of culture in their continent. And when they get there, um, everything goes wrong. Um, There's betrayals, there's murder, there's civil war. Um, And then through the rest of the seasons of the show, that's the environment you're in where it's very zero-sum, you know, you can make one wrong move and lose everything. You can make one wrong move and lose the people that are the most important to you. Mm. So it's very volatile. And part of why I brought it into my uh, graduate business school leadership course is I thought I was already teaching a course called Leadership Through Fiction, where we drew on different novels. And I thought, well, this is a good one because, man, the stakes are really high. And so for the students and for viewers of the show, you very quickly get caught up on, you know, how do you navigate that world? And right now we're in, I was thinking the exact same thing you just said, Chris, we're in a world that has become for different reasons, you know, very volatile. And, you know, hopefully the stakes aren't quite as zero sum as in Game of Thrones, but there is certainly, uh, I think, people are trying to find their way forward. They're trying to protect the people they care about. They're looking for good leadership. They're trying to be good leaders. So I think we can look at that narrative. It's a fantasy, you know, created by uh, George R. R. Martin, who was a, a fan of history. So he drew a lot on history. So then the shows and the novels are really informed by history. And I think we can look at that as a lens to try to better understand how we want to handle ourselves and our team and our organizations now. Yeah. yeah. And I think something you just said there, actually is quite interesting is uh, you know, about this volatility, one, one, one little move and it's, uh, you know, win or die. And, and I kind of wonder with, with this as a, a, a kind of comparison to the real world and for, for most of us when we're we're leading and leading in companies and the like it's not always quite as brutal it can be uh and i've been <laughs> in places where it is but it's not always right. and but what right. i think in this situation uh, by analyzing this it, it, it enables you to really think about the the sequences of leadership because actually the stakes are very very high aren't they and, and yeah. critical so maybe you think about it in more detail um, I think 
maybe with more detail and also I'd add with more urgency. You know, so Ned Stark, who's this leader from the north who takes his daughters and some of his soldiers down to the capital, he very quickly makes when you're watching the show, I mean, I've discussed this many times with the graduate students in my class, you very quickly feel that he's the hero and you identify with him as the the hero of the show. And he was one of the only actual stars that was hired, the actor. And um, when he goes down to King's Landing, he makes a lot of mistakes, but you don't, I don't think most people see those mistakes at the first viewing of the show. So he enters this volatile environment. He um, pushes away allies that could help him um, by judging them on very superficial level. He uh, is very motivated to follow his own values, which is a good thing for leaders to do, but he does it in this kind of judgmental way and he pushes away opportunities. So I think for us, if you watch that show, hopefully you're not going to be in a position where you actually are going to risk losing your head in a public execution, but you are going to enter an environment where you might have allies who you disparagingly, you know, ignore or don't treat right because they seem different than you want them to be, or you judge them on their looks or their uh, preferences in life, or whatever it might be. So I think we live in an environment now where things are tense enough that we can look at these narratives and extract the insights and leadership wisdom and we better use it because like you said it might not be that you lose your head but you might lose your role you might lose your company you might let people down there depending on you yeah you, you might do i mean i've certainly myself i could relate to this i think uh, i was in a couple of a couple of rather large corporate roles and i did find myself losing my head in a <laughs> metaphorical <laughs> you get on side a couple of times in my career I got on side on the wrong side of uh, somebody who was a bit more powerful than me and found myself out in the cold yeah. uh, it does it does happen doesn't it yeah well and and you know when I talk about this with the senior business leaders who I spent a lot of time working with many of them myself included actually have had the experience that you're talking about right where everything seemed sort of you know serene and okay and then suddenly you've been betrayed or suddenly yeah. the power that you felt was a collegial power you shared with people is actually ripped away because of someone else's ambition. Um, so, right. You may not end up in a public execution, you know, in front of a, a King who's betrayed a promise to you, but it still stings when you're walking away from a job you devoted yourself to and you felt you were performing excellent and suddenly you've been, you know, demoted or lost the job. So the stakes are very real in our lives. They just are maybe a little bit less, extreme hopefully yeah it's, it's a little bit medieval isn't it and it's uh and, and chop you know chop of your head literally means chop off your head doesn't it in game of thrones it's uh yeah. it's that uh you can imagine this sort of king henry times and uh tudor times and things like that and um, so we've got yeah. just a couple of minutes to commercial break but one of the things through the through the uh the story that you the narrative in the book is, is joseph campbell's hero's journey uh, I think this was used, wasn't it, in Star Wars, for example, and as, as the yeah. basis of many films. And uh, have you got sort of a, you know, a brief kind of synopsis of that that you can share as a backdrop before we move in the next break into the some of the more detail around the show and your Absol take out? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, George Lucas was, you know, pushing forward with Star Wars, which I think at that point was called The Adventures of Luke Starkiller and had a much longer 
subtitle. And um, he was struggling with the writing of it. You know, he, he wanted to bring more to it. He was attempting, which a lot of people aren't that aware of, he was attempting, he'd been in line to do Apocalypse Now, which is, which is a story about the Vietnam War. And he couldn't direct that. So he sort of had this big idea. I'm going to write about kind of the conflict in Vietnam, but I'm going to make it heroic. It's not going to end with a lot of films in the 70s were either dystopian science fiction films like Planet of the Apes, or they were dark film noir movies like Chinatown with Jack Nicholson. But people, um, you know, got the heroes got betrayed and they never won, right? So, so Lucas really wanted to make that victory happen for the characters in the first Star Wars. And then he remembered reading Campbell's uh, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And what Campbell did was he studied all these different myths and religions and philosophies from all these different cultures, and he compared them and he extracted what he called the monomyth. And I think he took that term from James Joyce. But the idea was that there's this core story structure that happens across all these cultures. And it's about the idea of a hero or a heroine being called into action, hesitating. So if you think of the first Star Wars uh, Luke, Luke Skywalker meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and Obi says, you know, you need to go become a Jedi Knight. And he goes, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I need to go back and help my step-parents farm. And he goes back and the storm killers have killed his, his step-parents. And so then he joins Obi-Wan Kenobi on this, on this adventure. And he leaves the world he knows. Like we see him enter that strange jazz bar where all these aliens are playing music and he meets Han Solo. And the, the point of it is that in many stories, the hero has to leave everything they know and they have to enter the unknown. But in doing that, they put themselves at risk. They put themselves at a, in a position of being hurt, but they also put themselves in a position of achieving something new and bringing that back to their community, back to their organization. So I've been using that in a workshop with both graduate students and, and senior executives where they have, um, they have, uh, written stories where they see themselves confront a challenge and make their way through it. So the hero's journey can be a great reminder to us that we can confront challenges and win. Absolutely. And we see that all the way through the Game of Thrones, people's different uh, heroes' journeys through the through the kind of process. And it's very engaging, isn't it? Because we can relate that to our own lives, the ups and downs, the peaks and the troughs. And uh... So we're going yeah. to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we'll start looking at some of the real key um, takeouts and nuggets that have come out of this uh, uh, incredible work that uh, Bruce has uh, has his reflections on Game of Thrones and leadership. Back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? 
Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Bruce Craven. We're talking about the Game of Thrones and what we can learn in terms of leadership. So we go straight into this now and uh, start focusing on some of the key takeouts that have come out of Bruce's work. And let's start, I think this was an important first chapter. It was about values and about, you know, risk of having a lack of awareness um, of the bigger picture. And you talked about Ned Stark. I mean, what, what, what do you take out, what were your takeouts about how we should um, consider values? Because I found this quite deep and helpful. I do a lot of values work with people and, and, and the, the nuances of this were valuable. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was the guinea pig about 20 years ago when we first brought values coaching into um, the advanced management program. So this four-week leadership program that Columbia Business School runs with senior leaders from every industry, or you can imagine, every country around the globe. And the professors, I, I've now co-run it for 13 years with a colleague named Paul Ingram at Columbia Business School. But I used to report to the people that ran it and they decided they were going to bring in coaching and I was going to be the first person coached, right? So I'm coached on my values. Uh, it takes about an hour and a half and I go for a walk afterwards and I thought, well, you know, I've never been through that experience. I wonder if that's going to be helpful. And within about, I mean, six months at the outside, I was making all these decisions with an awareness of how they were either aligned with my values and could help me or occasionally maybe accepting work from the school that I didn't think was fully in line with my values, but was worthwhile to support the team. So the values insights, and I've watched it now for, for 20 years, be transformational to people, um, both graduate students and senior executives. The, the insights about your values can really help you decide what kind of work is going to be appropriate for you and energize you and bring out the best in you, what kinds of things would be great for someone else you know, but, but probably aren't right for you. And, um, it can really help you lead yourself. And, and when you explain and share those values with other people on your team, it can help them understand you. And if you learn their values, it helps you understand what kinds of work can be inspiring and helpful to them. Ned Stark gets this offer from the King to go to King's Landing. And the two of them share some history. They were, they were in war together. They both value courage, but the King really values courage at the top of his, what they call a values hierarchy. So it's the top value. And 
and he's a leader of these kingdoms in this continent. He really – it would be helpful if he was more focused on leadership. But he wants to keep fulfilling this value of courage. So he wants to f- hunt wild animals. He wants to spar in fights with other knights. Um, he wants to keep fulfilling this value. And it would be great if someone could coach him that as a leader, he ought to spend more time fulfilling other values that might be in alignment with helping people in his, in his country, like, like honor or responsibility or duty. Ned, duty, you know, is a very high-level, top-of-the-value chain for him. And um, when he goes down and takes this job with the king, he's confronted with a moment where people out in the countryside have been suffering from these bandits. And so for Ned, he feels it's his duty to send out a posse after this violent group of criminals. So he's responding to his values, which is a very authentic thing to do and, and very often the right thing to do, but he's doing it without much reflection and what much uh, thought about how it could impact other things going on. So with our values, we want to we know them. We want to listen to them. If we can be fully aligned in, in responding to them, we're going to feel authentic. We're going to be energized. It's going to be great. But we have to be careful about always responding to them without some personal leadership. So Ned would have been better served if he'd realized, okay, my values tell me we should send out a posse to get these criminals, but I should go to the king first and find out what he thinks because he's the leader in the organization. Another moment I'll get to really quickly is there's a the, the king's wife, Queen Cersei. Ned goes and makes assumptions that her values are going to want her to protect her children. But what he doesn't, he underestimates her values. So her values all involve courage and superiority. And he thinks she's going to run away from danger and be terrified. And in fact, she confronts danger and she confronts him. So we have to be careful. We want to follow our values, but we don't want to follow them blindly. And we don't want to make assumptions about other people's values. I love that. And I, I, What it brought for me, I a number of years ago, I did a program with uh, it was a sales program actually with a with a, a company, and one of the things there, it was a big company, and their salespeople said to me during this program, you know, our, the number one thing, the most important thing to our customers is commission, and I taught them how to do a values elicitation, and we did some work on it as part of the program with them, and and I and I challenged them over the next um, month before the next module to all go out and do values elicitation with their with their clients and identify where where the, where the money aspect sat with them. And they came back and said, we can't believe this. It was anywhere between, generally between three and five. It was actually in service that was number one. Same. And, uh, and within, um, within two months of me finishing the program, the client came back and said, we've, 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 that's that single thing that you taught us about values has generated, we've identified at least two million pounds of extra business uh, by understanding <laughs> our customer better. So it shows, yeah. you know, it shows it has a real application. If we misunderstand what other people's values are, we can, you know, we can allow our beliefs to, um, to impact the reality really. And you talk about coaching in there, there too, uh, and in the second chapter. And I, I liked, um, I, I, I like the mod, the uh, suggested structure you had for coaching. Um, but I also, um, I like the idea of, that you mentioned. You, as a coach, you should think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. Explain. Well, that comes from an ancient Japanese ronin samurai, uh, Musashi, who said, think lightly of yourself and think deeply of the world. 
and I I found you know I was looking at some of his his writing. He was also a philosopher, and and that quote really resonated with me because I realized having been around coaching a fair amount again at, at Columbia Business School that so much of the challenge is to be able to listen and to not get caught up in your own point of view. In, in coaching, they often call it being a vampire. So if I'm if I'm the coach and you, Chris, are the coachee, and I feel compelled to continue to give you advice, you know, like rather than listen and help you think through the challenge, if I keep trying to solve your problem, um, I'm being what they call in coaching a vampire, right? I'm not helping you actually find the solution. And Musashi's quote was very much around, think lightly of myself as the coach, but think deeply of the world that the coachee is confronting and think of the challenges that they're involved with. Because in coaching, what you really want to do, and we practice this a lot in my course with MBA students, we just go off in pairs and practice coaching each other. And what you really want to do is just listen and ask helpful questions so that the coachee can understand kind of the context, what's up in their life, you know, and the different challenges they're facing the content, what matters, you know, what, what do they want to actually achieve in their leadership and with their organization? And then what's their conduct going to be? How, you know, what next, how are they going to take action steps to make that happen? So as a coach, you have to fight that instinct to try to solve it for them. You want to help them think it through. And, and when they do, it's a far more, um, powerful commitment that they have to go forward because they're the ones that have found this solution. And do, do you think, in, in the Game of Thrones too, actually, actually also having, there's, there's a difference. I, I sometimes find myself, uh, I was I was taught to coach like that. And I, but I always remember a point where I was I was coaching somebody very, very senior and they just said to me, they got so exasperated, they got to a point and said, Chris, just tell me the bloody answer. <laughs> <It was the worst. laughs> and, and I started to realize that actually we're in areas where I got a lot of experience, then actually I could combine that with mentoring too. And, and yeah. people gain more value from that and appreciated that. So I don't know what you're, you know, having a having somebody who's a mentor figure as well. Um, well, I had, yeah, I had that experience actually two days ago. I was in a coaching session with someone who had been in our advanced management program, and, and they were in New Zealand. And I, I hold this person in very high regard, right? So we get on the phone, and right away, I had all these ideas, and they were far more in the space of suggestions for her behavior and leadership and they weren't really questions right and at a certain point i had to kind of pull myself back i said look i'm sorry as a coach i should really be asking questions and not trying to just give you so many suggestions but i'm so caught up in it and i respect you so much um, and i think by framing it that way i mean she laughed and she said no these are these are helpful thank you so i think it it has a little bit to do with how you handle it if you and i know you wouldn't do this but if a coach steps into the environment and starts directing the coachee, that's not going to help. But if the coach has the EQ and the, you know, the self-awareness to acknowledge that maybe they're, they're making some suggestions because they just occur to him and they're choosing to be more of a mentor at that moment, uh, I think that that absolutely can work. And, right. and I, I had someone do that to me once and make a suggestion 20 years ago and it transformed my professional life. So, you know, sometimes the suggestion is not a bad idea. Absolutely. So I, I also uh, in this in the Game of Thrones, we've talked about values. We've talked about the need for for coaching, coaching others, but also I think it's important to be 
a, a good coachee and be really open to, to feedback and lessons and learning from others around yourself? Because it's harder to do that uh, for yourself and other people maybe see it can help you um, how you see that. It's easier sometimes to see the challenges for others. But I, I also think um, a really key chapter and conversation here is around resilience because leaders need a lot of resilience in Game of Thrones. And I, I'm also, mm-hmm. you know, I know you draw upon Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is an incredible book. And, and you also put me in touch with a book, which was Frederick Douglass's narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, yeah. uh, which is a, which I just found was a deeply, a deeply reflective book, um, a, a really helpful one to understand American history and slavery. And I, I wonder, wonder what are your takeouts about resilience that we can, you know, learn from people like this, the life of Sansa Stark. Um, yeah. In, in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was about eight years ago. I brought the narrative of Frederick Douglass um, into my leadership course. And the leadership course is called Leadership Through Fiction. And Frederick Douglass is not fiction. He was a very real character, and his autobiography is, is very real. Um, and part of why I brought it in was because I had an intuition, which was proven right, is that it sets the bar very high for all of us. You know, he was born a slave, essentially a, considered a piece of property, had his family wrenched away from him, um, wanted to learn to read and was being taught to learn to read by the woman that was um, kind of the slave owner of him. And then the husband came in and got very upset and essentially said, don't ever teach the slaves to read. And Douglas at that moment realized, I need to learn to read. This is, this is a powerful thing. And he ended up attempting to escape didn't work. Then eventually he, he managed to control himself, find another opportunity to escape. And he became this incredible leader in terms of promoting, you know, the horrors of slavery and, and making a very eloquent argument for why that had to stop that system. Um, he traveled around, traveled to Europe. He became an advocate to President Lincoln during World War II, uh, so World War II, the Civil War. So, I mean, t- for someone that was born with so little to achieve that is incredibly impressive. And one of the things you pick up to get to your question of resilience is he, he had, you know, terrible fear as anyone would living in that kind of horrible system, but he could manage his fear because he had expectations of how good life could be if he could get past that. Um, So often with my students, we get into that, how fear, even though we're not born into slavery, how fear can keep us from having the ambitions or the goals because we don't want to fail or we don't want people close to us to think we couldn't achieve something. So we have to overcome fear. That's what, and and things aren't going to go smoothly. We're going to get hit with challenges. We're going to, we're going to feel like a failure. We have to find a way to be resilient. Sansa Stark gets you know, her fairy tale of going down to that capital city of King's Landing. When she first gets there, she's caught up in the knights and the beautiful women and the jousting and all the drama. And she feels like she's going to marry this wonderful prince and and everything becomes a horrific nightmare. I mean, she's psychologically abused. She's physically abused. She's essentially moved from one prison to another. And all through that, she manages to she actually manages to learn from the people that are oppressing her, um, not accept them, not approve of them, but she manages to learn what 
what some of where some of their power comes from. And then more importantly, she stays focused on her goal, which is to get back and help her family and help the people from from the northern part of Westeros, where she's from. So this focus helps her to stay resilient um, even as she goes through horrible things. She's got a lot of grit, you know. She continues to stay locked into to being focused on this eventual goal of being free. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, an, uh, <laughs> the Frederick Douglass book is an incredible story. I'm, I'm uh, a life story, and you know, thank you for sharing that. I'd recommend that anybody who is interested in this goes and gets a copy, and it's not not an expensive buy off off the internet, um, but it is a, a profoundly uh, reflective um, book to read, and, and very relevant in the current situation as well. Um, Absolutely. So resilience is is a key message coming out of this that is important for us as uh, as leaders. And after the break, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, kind of emotional intelligence, and we'll talk a bit about um, the importance of authenticity and integrity and those messages that that come through. And we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. So do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Bruce Craven. We're talking about uh, Game of Thrones leadership. I'm certainly through this. There's lots that we we can't talk about because we haven't got time today uh, in the book. What I'm thinking, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back through the entire series with the book in parallel and do them do them together and think about leadership and the lessons around leading people, etc. Through the journey of the Game of Thrones. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about emotional intelligence, shall we? Shall we? And there's a story of Jamie, the the Kingslayer. What can we learn about that from him? Well, Jamie, for those who aren't familiar with the narrative, is this: he's he's part of a very powerful family. He's not particularly inspired to be a leader. He's a warrior. He's uh, notorious for having an affair with his sister, which is a big part of the show. Um, but more importantly, he he intimidates everyone because of his warrior skill, but at a certain moment in the past, 
he chose to assassinate the king who was about to immolate the capital city and kill everyone because the king had gone crazy. So he's also, Jamie's also kind of treated um, people gossip behind his back and call him the Kingslayer. And at one point in the story, he's been captured. Um, there's a civil war going on and he's being sent back um, to King's Landing where his family's in control under the guard of a woman named Brienne of Tarth, who also is a warrior um, at a time when women are not allowed to be warriors. And she carries all the values of being a knight, operating with honor and courage and strength and doing the right thing. And and when they leave on this journey, he's in chains and she's got the, the, the weapons, the sword, and he's trying to trick her into fighting him so he can kill her. And then they get caught by these bandits and he gets tortured and maimed. And what happens is that he starts to realize how much he admires her. He starts to understand himself better. He has, there's four categories to EQ, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. And he has real self-awareness that he has to survive this brutal maiming and that she is offering him uh, emotional support. He then gets freed and he can leave, but leaving would mean that Brienne would remain behind with these torturous thugs and would be, you know, raped, mutilated, and killed. And so he manages himself, the second category of EQ. So so when he starts to leave, he realizes, I can't, I can't leave her there. And he manages his desire to leave and get back home and returns and liberates her. Um, so we see with Jamie and Brienne this very powerful example of um, two people that align over values, and we see Jamie, someone who's not a particularly reflective person, become reflective. We also see EQ through uh, Daenerys Targaryen in self-awareness. She helps, um, she allows this magi, this witch, Mary Ma's door, to attend to her nomadic Dothraki husband, um, Cal Drogo, and things go wrong, and she comes out of that realizing, I have to be careful about who I trust. So that's a moment of self-awareness for her. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So, so in the um, in the in the uh, book, uh, you talk about uh, you know, about how um, you know, persuasion derives strategy, and uh, how not to get assassinated. And I think I think the this is how my question is: you know, how how do you get your big ideas across uh, without getting yeah, getting um, decapitated in this. <laughs> well, this the we talk. Uh, John Snow is also a member of this family, this northern family called the Starks, but uh, people don't claim to know who his father is. He, it's not Ned Stark, and he's raised uh, as a bastard with this sort of generic last name of Snow. And so he's been a part of this powerful family, but he's always been an outsider. And it, a colleague of mine at Columbia Business School, Willie Pearson, said, strategy is the act of putting organizational purpose into action. And there's a certain moment in the narrative of Game of Thrones where Jon Snow has become a, a guard up at this huge ice wall that's on the northern perimeter. I mentioned it earlier. He's part of what's called the Night's Watch. They're these border, border guards. And they believe, up until very recently, they believe their job is to keep these nomadic tribes known as the wildlings from coming across this ice wall and 
pillaging and attacking people in Westeros. But John has lived with them. I won't go into all that now, but he's lived with them and he realizes that there's really another threat. And he realizes that if this other threat has its way, it will kill the wildlings and it will weaponize them by turning them into essentially zombies. They're called whites. And so John has this big idea. And the big idea is we need to bring these nomadic tribes, the wildlings, across the wall and, and allow them to fight with us. Otherwise, the what are called the White Walkers, will weaponize them and we're going to be at even greater risk, right? So he has this big idea, but it goes against the complete culture of this border troop of guards. And John is very high at EQ. He's very good at social awareness and building relationships with, with different groups. But at this moment when he's got the big idea, he's so 100% sure he's right that any resistance that comes his way, any sense he's he picks up from his people that they're resisting him, he just tries to push it away. He says, you know, essentially, there's a ticking clock. We have to get the wildlings over here. My idea is right. And he turns it into essentially uh, an argument with no further discussion. And things go badly for him because he hasn't persuaded the people on his team why his strategic big idea is the right approach. So our takeaway from that is even when we know our big idea is right, even when we're 100% sure, we have to work and spend time trying to persuade our resistors to understand what we're doing. Because I'll say this very quickly, it's not an objective truth that these wildlings need to be let across the wall. It's a, it's a judgment decision on John's part. So he has to help his people go along with that judgment decision to get to the place where he is. And if we don't do that, if we always think we're we're offering our followers objective truths when it's not, we're not going to build their followership. Yeah, yeah, and, and say hard when it's part of a, a prevailing culture, isn't it? Um, yeah, prevailing brief system, and you're you're trying to cut across that. Um, in quite a lot of my work is shifting shifting culture to to one which is more more productive and uh, and more easy flowing. However, it does require getting a lot of people on board. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even one person who's not on board can be enough to sabotage it. Well, and and maybe ten people holding knives is what happens in Game of Thrones, and that doesn't, you know, that's enough to sabotage it. <laughs> so you don't you don't want your people to assassinate you because uh, that's just not effective leadership, and it's not what you're looking for right and john and john had he was right his idea was 100 percent right he needed to work and spend time persuading the resistors to to be in you know in agreement with his suggestion mm-hmm. and there's there's lots of lots of trials and tribulations throughout this story and i'm i'm kind of intrigued about and i think this is helpful leadership should we should we always and the current environment we're in at the moment should we always remain optimistic in all circumstances or do we need to be realistic? I mean, could yeah. being optimistic be our downfall? What's your perspective yeah. there? There's a character in the books, I don't believe he's in the show, named Quentin Martell. And he's from Dorne, which is the, this sort of beautiful southern area. Um, and he travels to meet this key figure in the Game of Thrones narrative, uh, Daenerys Targaryen, who's also known as the Mother of Dragons, and she has dragons. And he's 
travels to see her and he's very optimistic about the fact that he can win her hand in marriage and he's very optimistic that he can kind of control her dragons and nothing goes right. He, she has no interest in marrying him and the dragons burn him up. Okay. <laughs> so, so there is a risk in too much optimism. Now, now, I think what we have to keep in mind is a wonderful character through the narrative named Samuel Tarley. And when we first meet him, he's one of those guards up on the border wall. He's a recruit. His father sent, sent him there essentially threatening to kill him because he wasn't tough enough in his father's eyes. He proves to be quite tough. But early on, he's they're all sparring. These young recruits are fighting, you know, practicing, training, sparring. And he doesn't even attempt to fight. So he's just letting himself be hit. And at one point, Jon Snow says, well, you'll do better tomorrow. And he said, I, I never do better. So what he's become is very pessimistic. He, mm. he, sees, everything, he sees everything as permanent and pervasive. It's never going to get better. It's never going to change. Um, and this is from the fascinating work on optimism and, and uh, happiness from uh, Seligman. I believe at University of Warden. But um, Sam is always, he's thinking, I'm never going to get better. But then, because he gets some positive support from John, he actually starts to do some heroic things. And we want to realize in our lives when we're dealing with difficult things, we want to find a way to dispute that tendency to believe it's always going to be this way. And I think that applies to a lot that's going on right now. Okay. We don't want to be foolishly optimistic that it's all just going to get better. You know, oh, I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm going to walk around a lot of people and somehow I'll never, you know, spread the disease. Right. We we don't want to do that. Um, we want to, but we want to kind of dispute the idea that it's always going to be a problem. We want to look at difficult moments as being temporary and specific, and then we want to do what we can to to approach them and resolve them. You know, we want to help lead ourselves, our teams, our organizations to confront the challenges while at the same time pushing past. So it's a balance. It's, it's like a optimism that is realistic, right? It's not becoming completely powerless through pessimism and it's not being naively 100% uh, foolishly overconfident in that kind of optimism. It's finding that balance. Absolutely. We've just got a, a couple of minutes before I need to need to wrap up. And I'm, I'm interested, do you... Um... You work with Columbia Business School, but are you are you available for you know public speeches and consultancy and coaching and things like that if people want to explore yeah. this further? I have we I have a, a business site which is you know www.cravenleadership.com and and I was giving a lot of talks last year on this subject, doing it this year um, early early before the pandemic. I've been teaching. Um, yeah, so I'm doing a lot of that and available to do it and have other content that I do. It's not strictly Game of Thrones content, um, although I find this fascinating because I think it's really – I think the beauty of fiction and narrative fiction for teaching leadership is people remember the characters when the crisis kicks in. We mm -hmm. go, oh, I don't want to be Ned Stark in that way. <laughs> oh, I want to be more like Sansa Stark or Samuel Tarly. We remember it when we're under pressure, which I think is fascinating. Okay, so we've got we've got one minute for a final message from you that you'd like to leave us with. Ah, well, okay. I, I think for me it would be the power of reading fiction, reading poetry, that other 
book of mine you re referenced, Buena Suerte and Red Glitter, is a book of poetry. I think turning to fiction, novels, TV shows, films, turning to poetry at times of challenge is a great way to build your resilience, build your wisdom, um, learn and prepare, prepare yourself to confront challenges, which we all have to do. Excellent. I, I love that idea. And I think what I like about it is, is which I haven't greatly greatly sort of consciously thought about is actually uh, utilizing fiction for the the lessons that it brings us the the, the self-reflections and the the lessons about life and how we can be more effective and in this example how we can be a better leader so that's a really great take out from this um but I, I really enjoyed this i think it's i think it's fascinating i love the way you've drawn out these these parallels uh, with leadership and use the journey within the game of thrones so uh, a big thank you to you well, thanks, Chris. This has been a great pleasure for me, so I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, and uh, and, and thank you for Sherelle helping in the background as well. All, all, always appreciated. <laughs> I'll tell her she's uh, she's she's amazing. <laughs> and good luck with those with those boys as well. Um, on um, so for more information, you can go to CravenLeadership.com. You can buy the book. Uh, as well on um, on win or die leadership secrets from the game of thrones i'd recommend it i think it's a really really um smart thought-provoking uh, book and if you love the show as well you know why not watch it again in conjunction with the book um on next week's show we have uh, mitch rousseau who is going to talk with us about uh, the invisible business about moving your business from you know physical kind of bricks and mortar to, to working kind of remotely and he's worked with people very closely like tony robbins and built some amazing businesses and has an incredible cv so i think this will be very very salient topic in this environment any questions comments send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk follow us on facebook i'm going to get more active um at the be more cheap more uh, site there moving forward and uh, also um do check out uh look uh, look forward to Thursdays as well, where you can have the opportunity to sort of personally ask me questions as well uh, during that journey and contribute. And on Fridays, Thursday next week, uh, we shall be having a, a little panel discussion as well, including my friend, adventurer Neil Lawton, uh, and the um, founder of Business Growth Bureau, uh, Rupert Honeywood. So wishing you all well. Any questions, if you want to know um, links and things like that, just email me and I'll send those across to you. Uh, thanks for your listening today and a huge thank you again to uh, Bruce Craven. That was great. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.